Greetings, love bugs. Welcome to another episode of the Match Berry Mate Show, where I discuss topics and issues to support Black women with self-love, femininity, and womanhood, and their own personal love lives. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and you're listening to the second show in our Marriage Prep mini-series. This episode is titled Marital Submission. Ladies, how do you all feel when you hear that word? Usually for Black women, there's some level of rejection, and there is usually a good reason for it. Now, I'm not talking about unnecessary resistance and difficulty where you're just not working alongside your man or your husband for no real reason. I mean, that energy that rises in you because we've had a long history of oppression, abuse, and mistreatment, even by our own men, perhaps especially by our own men. And when that's not your story, there is also a lack of seriousness or respect present because a man cannot seem to get himself together enough or has failed to demonstrate the morals, character, skills, and acumen that manhood typically requires. Well, you have a right to reject any unrighteous or irresponsible advances or requests from a man, but maybe, just maybe, I can get you to see how leadership and submission can and I said can, not always, can work together. After this episode, we have two more in this series, but we also look forward to your feedback because we wanna know if there are any other wedding or marriage prep topics that you would like for us to cover. You all really appreciated the last episode guide I designed for you, so be sure to get your episode guide for this show too. You can choose the free or paid version, but just be sure you get it. Of course, at the end of the show, I'll give you more details about the next episode in the series. For now, this episode is for both Black men and women and also couples, and it will not have an affirmation or journal segment. Welcome, welcome. In today's show, we're talking about submission, and I think you all will receive it well if you're a Bible reader or even a Bible believer. If not, this particular episode might not be for you. But if you're sticking around, be sure to download the Marital Submission episode guide. You can use it to follow along with me, or you can refer to it after you're done listening. I promise it'll save so much time with note-taking and replaying. In our first segment, I want to introduce you to three forms of marriage, though we're focusing this episode on just one form. Of course, I'm sharing some American, Christian, and Black history as they intersect. I'll also include baseline scriptural passages, both from the Old Testament and the New, but I'll introduce the New Testament first because you'll likely know it more as it's more tied to American culture. Then in our second segment, we'll comb through the Old Testament as I lean on Jeremiah's question of who does he submit to with some other sage marital advice. We're gonna define the role of a husband and his purpose in marriage while addressing order and oneness in marriage. As you already know, I wanna aid in the healing of gender relations between black women and black men. Studies show that with proper relationship education, we can produce safer and happier dating decisions that improve the quality of our relationships as we enter the dating market to match, marry, and mate. 
It is my hope that today's conversation inspires you to develop or perhaps redevelop your ideas and thoughts on the roles of husband and wife, the purpose of marriage, and how you would want to operate in the kind of marriage you'd like to form with your spouse or spouse-to-be. Today's conversation is about marriage and the presence of submission within it, at least for biblical marriages. For the purpose of this show, I am going to specifically call out the Old Testament narrative when what I'm discussing draws more from it. I'll do the same with the New Testament too, specifically calling out that narrative when I am speaking about it directly. Because this episode will include marital practices from both, mostly separate, but when I'm speaking to matters of both, to whatever degree, I'll simply name it biblical. So what does submission mean? I remixed Google's dictionary definition to read the act or fact of accepting or yielding to authority, usually their decision-making power of another person. Now, the name of this episode is titled Marital Submission, so we're going to need more than what Google says. Biblically, and I am more so speaking to the Old Testament narrative here, Submission is an act of will. A person, in this case a wife, has the choice to willingly yield on her own behalf or not. This is not an oppressive state and it is strictly voluntary. To build off of Genesis 17, the story I shared in the special episode number two, Churchy Wedding Vows, about Father Abraham and Mother Sarah, the instructions in the Old Testament narrative do not command all women to submit to all men or any specific man. For that matter, neither does the New Testament, but we will dig into that more as we go. I know there are more, but for the most part, most believers and practitioners of the Old Testament faith and customs operate from Genesis, the whole book, Numbers 30 and Proverbs 31 combined. And again, for the most part, most believers and practitioners of New Testament faith and customs operate from Genesis 1 through 3, Proverbs 31, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians 5, and Titus 2. I think the Ruth and Boaz story deserves an honorable mention. While it may not always make the common or most studied story for marriage, it gets spoken enough to add it to the list, I think. If I had to take an educated guess on why, I'd imagine because Ruth and Boaz is a specific kind of marriage that does not even exist in American culture today. So it's difficult to activate it as a marital prescription, though I do know some pastors who've tried. I also think when it comes to learning about general topics like marriage, teaching concepts and principles is a better route than attempting to use one single marriage story for the masses. Of these two lists, that means there's some overlap with early Genesis chapters, Proverbs 31, and Ruth and Boaz. In this episode, I'll unpack Ephesians 5 because most of the submission demanded for by men, which that's not the way to go about female submission, is rooted in the American Christian form of submission. I'll also introduce Numbers 30, offering scriptural and societal context. Before we dive in, let's have a quick chat about power. 
and the three different forms of marriage we often see take place in the U.S., though I'm centering on patriarchal marriages in this show. When it comes to power, men have consistently wielded political power and social status in society. Across the globe, men have held an authority that has had the potential, and in some cases, the guarantee, to give them power over the lives of women. Now, when most modern women, especially modern Black women, hear the word submission, we usually hear this first, and in most cases, it is rejected. I think it's fair to say that no adult wants their agency and autonomy removed. I don't think that women need power wielded over them, no more than I believe that adults, especially in marriage, need to perform obedience. But throughout the series, you'll likely hear three kinds of marriage formations, patriarchal, partnership, and egalitarian. If you search for definitions or even research literature, you'll find varied definitions and some overlap. I'm going to keep it simple for this show and define each marriage form by its governing function. Speaking of function, I'll address more of the function of marriage later, but wanted to keep this show's topic to marital submission in view of its formation. For patriarchal marriages, I'm going to split this category into two, where the first is pastoral patriarchy, a type of marriage formation and family building rooted in A&E, ancient Near Eastern, and Hebrew culture as seen in the Old Testament. The other is Western patriarchy, a form of marriage forming and family building that's more connected to Christianity and American culture. Pastoral patriarchy looks similar to if partnership marriage and it had a baby. Maybe not all the time, but definitely at certain times. In the Old Testament narrative, pastoral patriarchy emphasizes the importance of male leadership. This comes with a level of stewardship, authority, and power in his environment, or another way to say it is, in his household or even in his kingdom. I know we've likely all heard leave and cleave before, but that in his environment part speaks to that. It's the idea that a man has built his own, giving him something to steward, to lead and activate his authority or power inside of. Biblically, in the Old Testament narrative, There's no such thing as leading something that you don't own, possess, or haven't worked for. Western patriarchy and its marriages are defined a little bit more cut and dry. At its root, Western patriarchy is a hierarchy in which women are subordinate to men. It operates on the oppression of women, where the message to women is that they are unworthy of power in the same way that men are. Western patriarchy differs as it's not just marriages that operate this way, but also a system of relationships, beliefs, and values embedded in political, social, and economic systems and structure gender inequality between men and women. And we see this play out in marriage and beyond in the U.S. To connect this to the special episode Number two, churchy wedding vows. I'd say that Western patriarchal marriages largely include male superiority and female obedience. Moving on to number two, partnership marriages. These marriages operate in equity and even in equality sometimes. Personally, I don't seek to make men and women the same. So I'm more pro-equity here. 
And if we're keeping with a biblical theme, the scriptures don't seek sameness either. Spouses value each other as equals, treat each other with respect, and consider each other's needs and support one another. They agree on personal, marital, and familial goals together and work as a team to achieve them. A single person being quote unquote in charge does not really exist, though you may have designated a leadership role for the different areas or the different domains in the relationship, or maybe even one leader for them all. Although I'd argue if it's only one leader for all domains, in this case, the husband, and he leads with responsibility and care, then it's probably more pastoral patriarchy. In a true partnership, respect is present and power is shared, though men have a greater need biologically and perhaps societally to demonstrate dominance, including power. Here's an area where I too understand that men and women aren't the same. In most cases, as a woman, I'm not behaving in a way to strut dominance or show off authority or exert power, but many men certainly are. I think each couple needs to discuss this for themselves. There usually has to be space for a man to exercise his power. These are sometimes tough conversations, but they are worth having. In one of my IG posts about vows, a married man responded that vows should be a combination of tradition and communication. That approach is fitting here if you happen to agree with that. Partnership marriage formation includes the leader service dynamic where one partner is the leader, the other naturally supports in his or her service to said leadership. Sometimes this can be framed as submission, but not always. And then number three, egalitarian marriages. Think more 50-50, though it's wider than that. I'm simply sharing this as a third option, but we won't delve into this kind today. We'll pick it back up later on. Since submission, albeit different kinds, it's more likely to exist in either patriarchal, so pastoral or Western, or partnership marriages. We are gonna discuss ways it plays out there, focusing on patriarchy and the kind of leader who naturally receives submission. Before we transition, I wanna make a statement about the intersection of race, culture, religion, and marriage. Historically, in a newly freed world of formerly enslaved Africans in America, there was another attack on Black love in the different ways that Black people related romantically with each other informed households and families. Specifically, the Freedmen's Bureau sought to recreate Black marriage into white marital form, which is basically Western patriarchy, mainly because enslaved Black people had mostly been defined as morally and legally unfit to marry in comparison to whites according to them. To meet the so-called moral white standard of marriage, it meant that Black relationships and marriages were forced to assume the Western patriarchal form. That's not to say that Black people didn't practice patriarchal marriages before our displacement to these shores, but that this kind of patriarchy, the Western form, was distinct. In that form, Black husbands gained exclusive superiority over their Black wives, in many cases, this meant that only the husband could sign contracts, purchase property, and own family resources. 
Just a quick note to add that pastoral patriarchy, you may find that husbands lead these transactions, but their wives could operate on their behalf or under their authority. Also in a pastoral patriarchy society, not just in marriages, women could navigate these affairs too when needed. My favorite Old Testament story about women having this kind of freedom and justice is the daughters of Manasseh and Moses. After centuries of being enslaved, post-enslaved American Black men and husbands finally had power, or at least the portion extended to them from white men. They did nothing to earn this power except be born male, and pastoral patriarchy very much rejects this notion. I don't have to tell you the oppression, domination, and mass abuse that would soon ensue. Black husbands were recognized as the family head, controlling their wives and children, rather than when white men controlled them all, man, woman, and child, in the days of American chattel slavery. It didn't take long for this Western patriarchal form to be taught to Black people as a Christian principle, as Christian marriage, destroying innate ways that African-Americans related, namely plural relationships, partnership-mindedness, and sexual intercourse before it was legally coded as fornication. Needless to say, Western patriarchal marriage, church or Christianity, and American Black people have a rather interesting history. I want to take time here to shout out my wife's school clients. If you're a wife and you know you need some support in holding that position or operating in a marital structure that best serves the two of you, I'd be happy to support. We can start with an initial one-on-one call and you can begin that at matchmarymate.com forward slash begin. My individual calls are 40% off right now, so grab it while it's good. Christian submission in marriage is a wife making a choice not to usurp or overtly resist her husband's will or decision. That doesn't mean that she cannot disagree with him or cannot express her opinion, but that in doing so, she won't defy her husband. Christian submission is largely understood by Ephesians 5, specifically verses 21 through 33. The section of the chapter is usually titled Marriage Like Christ in the Church or something like it, and sometimes Christian households. I'm going to read it bit by bit and talk through it. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so both husbands and wives are called to practice submission, not just wives. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Here, there's a call for wives specifically. And then verses 23 and 24 together, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Here, Christ's relationship with the church is a picture of how a husband and wife should relate. Submission functions as the fuel to marriage, where husband and wife submit unto each other, the church submits unto Christ, and again, there's another specific call for wives to submit unto their husbands. 
I think it may be relevant to add here that this submission authority pair is in the context of a husband operating as the head of the family. We all know there are some men, and we largely see this in the Black community, who believe that just because they are a man, they have authority over women, or maybe even a certain woman, though she is not his wife. Well, that's not the New Testament order here as described in Ephesians 5. Jeremiah, you know I read a lot about this topic and authors and scholars have made connections between the extended authority given to Black men from white men that I mentioned earlier and an expectation of either obedience or submission, be it from woman or child. So as you understand the plight of our people in the States and the relationship between male authority and female submission, especially from what I've read so far in Ephesians 5, do you think that Black men over time have come to expect Black women to submit to them just because they are men? And I am specifically thinking about several podcasts hosted by Black men where they're screaming female submission with either no wives or they're demanding it as if that's the way it's supposed to be rendered. So I'd love to have your thoughts here. Yes, I do think there's a contingent of Black men that think that Black women should recognize their quote-unquote authority just on the account of them being a man. I think it's woefully misguided, but it does exist in our community. I think it's a, a desire that's become unhealthy Generally speaking, I think all people, all humans have a desire to be respected and have some sense of power and agency. Uh, men specifically, I think oftentimes that respect and power is derived through the recognition they get from their community, the recognition they get from uh, their partner, the woman or women that they're with, and their ability to produce and deliver on behalf of those that count on them. And a lot of circumstances, for reasons that I'm sure many of your listeners know, the ability to do many of those things have been cut out from under uh, their feet, Black men's feet. And because so many of those things have been cut out from under Black men's feet, I think there's been a over-identification and an unhealthy desire to get it through whatever means is easiest to acquire it. And you talked about um, white society kind of affording the Black man this, this, quote, dominance in their home through laws and um you know, policies that, that allow men at large to be in a uh, dominant or even oppressive position in their homes. And so because that's really the only place that a Black man historically has been able to exert that dominance or even look for that respect, that I think they, some, take it. They take it. They feel like this is the only place I can get it. And if you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to take it. And I think that's very misguided, warped thinking. But if you follow the breadcrumbs, you can see how 
you get there. It's no different than rappers who have, or just men in general, Black men in general who have been born and raised most impoverished of circumstances, and then they come into millions of dollars of money. Oftentimes they flaunt it, they show it. Everyone has that desire, but when you've been so deprived from those means, you might, when you finally come into the opportunity of having means, you're going to show it off in ways that might not be healthy. And I think this is a similar circumstance where men have been reduced down to having very little power. And so they find ways to take it. And they've actually convinced themselves that it's supposed to be that way. Picking up with verses 25, 26, and 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Here, the chapter focuses more on the husband with instructions to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Jeremiah flagged an inconsistency on the woman's part or on the wife's part in our churchy wedding vows episode. And now I would like to pause to raise one for men or for husbands. I believe that men must understand this exchange and reciprocity that's going on here. Far too often I hear men, and not just Black men, but that's my focus because it's who I know best, demanding or expecting female submission as laid out in Ephesians 5, but not so much their demonstration of being an Ephesians 5 husband who loves his wife so much that he'd give himself up for her. I think a call for consistency is in order here. While I don't practice Christian submission, I know plenty of women who do, or at least understand it's expected of them with New Testament faith. So if someone, a husband, maybe even a husband-to-be, is going to call his wife on this kind of marital submission, I think he should also walk in the office of that Ephesians 5 husband, that loving husband. Now, we can also flip that. If a man is an Ephesians 5 husband, I think it's reasonable to expect that his wife is an Ephesians 5 wife and the submission that it calls for her. Jeremiah, any thoughts on that? Uh, nothing more than agreement. I think there's uh, an equal reciprocity there. agree with you that what I heard when you read that passage is a man of sacrifice, a man of sacrifice specifically on behalf of um, his wife. There are ways to show daily sacrifice um, to a person. And so, although it might sound obscure when reading it, uh, you can break it down into very, I think, tactical and observable ways to know if a person is one of sacrifice. Uh, so I think it's uh, reasonable and in balance. To close on this passage, we have verses 28 through 33. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. 
for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So here, three times, it emphasizes that husbands are to love their wives. We also have the charge for a man to leave his family of origin and unite with his wife. And last, there's also a charge for wives to respect their husbands. I just so happened to be scripting episodes for this marriage prep miniseries at the same time I was drafting my literature review for my own doctoral research. In reading one source, the author connected authority to power in the life of post-enslaved Black men. I had already shared my video asking the research question I wanted to pose, so I returned to the comments to ask, as Black men, is there a relationship between power and authority? If so, what is it? And what roles does it play in marriage and family? A Black married man responded with this. I believe there is a relationship or a correlation between power and authority. It's nature with men in higher testosterone levels and how we're more physically dominant and express dominance and conquer. This is seen in children between boys and girls. The boys are more rough in play and the girls are softer. Generally, in nature, those with more power rule or have authority. In relationships or marriages, the man knows he has more power and is territorial. His instinct is to protect and provide for his household using his power. He is the force field of his house, meaning his wife and offspring. Also in turn, his nature is to be the one in authority and lead while listening to and examining the wisdom of his wife. If I dissect this, and I'm gonna have Jeremiah join me in just a bit, I like that he started with the biological and physiological differences. I've read plenty of books on male nature. One of them is called T by Carol Hoover, and it explains exactly what this commenter is referring to with the males being more physical and more dominant. He says that in nature, those with more power rule or have authority. I would also argue that this is true in society too. My husband and I just finished watching Life on Our Planet. It's a seven or eight episode series on Netflix narrated by Morgan Freeman, where each episode explains how a certain species with the most power ruled in several periods of the planet's history. Within that, the male creatures demonstrated their power or their abilities, not just for survival and protection, but also to secure a mate and ensure offspring. There is something in the nature of male life, whether it's reptile, amphibian, bird, mammal, and specifically human, that's designed to show power. I may have to challenge that it is male instinct to protect and provide. Something tells me if this is instinctually true, it reasons that we see more of it. I'm not saying that it's false, just that it does not appear in abundance for it to be as instinctual as he said. 
When I think of instinct, I imagine that each member of the kind or so many that those who don't are insignificant. And at least in my community, provide and protect isn't something I think Black women would say they experience from Black men as instinct. I could be wrong, so I'll let you all weigh in and tell me. Last, he includes that male leadership, in this case, the leadership of a husband, includes listening to and examining the wisdom of his wife. So I really appreciate that he had something in turn demonstrating that reciprocity and that exchange that we've spoken about earlier. Jeremiah, you have any thoughts here? I would be more specific and say I think it's instinctual for a man to desire building something, building a kingdom, building a family, building a career. There's an instinctual desire to just build. And when you build something that's of your own hands, you most definitely want to protect it. So I think it first starts at the root of a desire to build. And then you want to protect what you've built. Oftentimes, either because of a man's own character or because of the warped context in which he lives, there is a lack of desire or a lack of passion or desire or or intentfulness to build anything. They're just living, you know, and if something kind of happens along the way that would require their protection or their responsibility to step into that role, where the innate desire was never there in the first place to build. And if you don't have that, then you don't have the desire to protect it. And so I do think that that instinct is there. But again, I think in certain contexts, you can you can create a context where the equilibrium gets knocked off. And then all you see are individuals who don't have that drive or that desire in the way that you would want to see it. And you can start to convince yourself, well, that's just not in them. It's not inborn in them. But I think we always have to remember the context in which things are happening. And if the pool has been peed in, the pee is always there until someone truly comes and cleans it up. And there's always going to be this equilibrium that's knocked off. And so I don't say that as an excuse. Doesn't necessarily excuse or doesn't excuse the net impact that it has on people and communities. What did you call it? The instinct? The instinct isn't there. I do think it's there. I just think after you get beat down a a certain amount, it's just something you stop caring about or don't think you can do. Okay, so maybe attaching the word instinct to provide and protect isn't it, but that there is an instinct for males to build. And then with with them activating that instinct and building something, then comes the desire to provide and provide for it and protect it. Exactly. Okay. I can see that. That we are not experiencing this provide and protect so much is that we are observing a lack of instinct to build. Therefore, the provide and protect piece isn't as visible or isn't as prominent. 
I would say so. I also think there's there's nuance there because sure. you can activate a man's desire to build. But again, I, I mentioned a lot of different ways a man can build. I think the instinct to build is there. The societal impact is teaching that man what's worth building. Mm. Like, how are you coaching up young boys and young men to learn what's worth building? Yeah. And if you are a society that emphasizes him building and amassing wealth and career, then you're going to have a lot of men focused on that. If you are emphasizing family is first and foremost, that is really all that matters. Or, you know, in large ways, you're not even a man unless you take on a family. Some cultures go that far. Mm -hmm. Then a man's going to fight tooth and nail to find Mm -hmm. a wife. Sure. And so to build, I think, is the instinct. It's society's role in teaching men what's worth building. All right, love bugs, let's take a pause. Since you have time, go download that episode guide before we return, and we'll see you soon. Are you a bit stressed or confused with your love life? Relationships, especially the romantic kind, require more than just hormones and feels to prosper. You know you need advice, support, and effective strategies so you can feel how you want to feel and create the love life you desire. I raise my hand to say, let me assist you with skills, strategies, coaching, and community. Here's what I want you to do. Visit coachjoyce.com and choose whichever love lady package fits you the best to become an official sister of the Match Mary Mate community. You'll have digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If you book between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 60 bucks off every month of group coaching for our Cozy Girl Fall Special. See you there. Hey, love bugs, and happy fall. I've got a sale to share with you, honey. We're in our Cozy Girl Fall season right now, and if you don't know what that means, you're either not on the Match Mary Mate email list or not in the Match Mary Mate Facebook group. I'd encourage you to join both, and you can do that at matchmarymate.com backslash begin. Between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 40% off a private one-on-one call with yours truly, or you can join one of our group coaching cohorts for 60 bucks off monthly. Get it all at matchmarymate.com backslash begin, but you have to get it in by December 1st. 2023. Jeremiah often asks, what or who does he submit to? 
This is his way of having a woman check the man's source before giving her own submission unto him. And at the same time, it's a charge to the man to evaluate who governs him, especially spiritually, and the built-in code or instructions. I want to pair Jeremiah's question, what or who does he submit to, with a marital sage I once heard from a married woman I know. We'll call her Mama G. She says, as a wife, you're most fulfilled when encouraging your husband in his submission to the divine. She's not saying so to have a wife, quote unquote, win over, but to state that the dynamics in marriage fare better when a wife understands her husband's spiritual source and in supporting him can point him back to that. I'd also add here that understanding a man's spiritual purpose or calling helps. Women, especially married women, are often burdened with a deep sense of frustration when they want to help their men or their husbands, but cannot understand how with absent or poor purpose, vision, and leadership. Both Jeremiah's question and Mama G's advice speaks to the pastoral patriarchal structure presented in Numbers 30. The passage opens with, Then Moshe, and that's Moses, Then Moshe spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Yisrael. He said, Here is what the Most High has ordered. When a man makes a vow to the Most High or formally obligates himself by swearing an oath, he is not to break his word, but is to do everything he said he would. This is the original, my word is my bond. It's important to note in the ancient Hebrew culture, there's a relationship between hearing, thinking, believing, and speaking. I actually wrote an article about this years ago when it comes to child rearing as the elements play out in this culture and every aspect of it. In this first verse, the pastoral patriarchal structure is present. It might also be good to add here that this is an agrarian society. It's through agriculture and livestock that these people know their world and understand lifestyle. And to point to the obvious, the word husband is a pastoral term. By definition, a husband is one who manages economically and carefully as a pastoral lifestyle calls for. And he's not just managing his own, but also others. So it includes stewardship. Here, we also learn the purpose of a husband. Now we're circling back to understand a man's purpose in your decision to marry him or not. His purpose is to gain the highest quality and the greatest yield for the seed that has been sown. This seed is both physical, meaning semen and crops, and it's legal and psychological, meaning his actual words and who or what they create, evoke or impact. And it is spiritual, meaning how it affects his relationship with the divine. Throughout the Old Testament narrative, there are many instructions and principles that govern the planting of seed and its value. And since the husband has to give an account for the quality of his work, that is the quality of his harvest, he is the leader or the head of his field and his home or his environment, as I mentioned earlier. If you've taken the Match Mary Mate course, this is the equivalent to a king and his kingdom and that he is responsible for building it, 
adding to it and expanding it. Pointing you back to Father Abraham and Mother Sarah, this is what I mean when I say husbands are more occupied with possession. They are called to be spiritual and natural stewards. To connect this to the masculine archetypes episode you all asked me so much about, as men are built differently, the highest quality is the fully evolved and matured form of his type. I want to take time here to shout out my womanhood and wifehood prep cohort clients. If you're a woman looking for more in-depth understanding on marriage and wifehood preparation, this cohort has your name on it. We can start with an initial one-on-one call. Again, matchmarymate.com forward slash begin. They are 40% off right now through December 1st, so don't miss out. Because things were brought to be or carried into existence by the speaking of your word, men shied away from idle talk as they understood anything they said and could not later deliver on would have consequences. Again, in the Masculine Archetypes episode, I shared a story with you about how my Uncle Lynn taught me to be mindful of men who just talk. Well, he was operating on this principle. He understood that his words had authority and could create anticipation and hope as well as expectations. So it's best to hush on matters unless there was something meaningful and important to say that a man could back up. This is where pastoral and Western patriarchy part. Men who operate under pastoral patriarchy do not attempt to control their wives or children with forms of oppression and abuse. As they speak, it is so. My grandfather is the simplest and sweetest man I have ever known. My grandmother enjoyed her life with him, though sometimes I think he was too simple for her. He never ruled with an iron fist, but with love, order, and correction. Whether he was teaching me to cook one of his dishes or how to shoot a gun or how to pick the best watermelon in the field, he would always start with. Now, it's important that you listen to me, Joycey. We got to be to the point where my word alone directs you. We can do that and we'll be all good. We can't and you'll mess up something that I got to fix or pay for. What he was teaching me was proper male leadership and stewardship. I didn't have the words then, but I understood that they went together. He was wise enough to teach me and ensure that I was teachable and could yield to his authority. He was also very caring with his protection of me. But above it all, I understood that there was weight, though I was clueless as to how heavy it was then. That my failure to follow his word or his instructions would only cost him and sometimes cost me. As I grew and matured, I sought to help him protect the resources he spent on me by listening, not wanting to cost him any more than necessary. As he had always sought to protect me from the outside world or the elements within the best of his ability. I learned so much in spending time with him and it was void of any oppression, abuse, or mistreatment. Now, verses four, five, and six speaks to an unmarried woman making a vow. It reads, when a woman makes a vow to the Most High, formally obligating herself while she is a minor living in her father's house, then if her father has heard what she has vowed or obligated herself to do and holds his peace, then all her vows remain binding. Every obligation she has bound herself to will stand. But if on the day her father hears it, 
he expresses his disapproval, then none of her vows or obligations she has bound herself to will stand, and the Most High will forgive her because her father expressed his disapproval. This is an example of pastoral patriarchy between father and girl child or father and maiden before we see it in marriage. And then verses seven and eight introduces marriage. It reads, if having made vows or rashly committed herself to an obligation, she gets married and her husband hears but holds his peace with her on the day he learns of it, then her vows and obligations she has bound herself to will stand. But if her husband expresses his disapproval on the day he hears it, he will void the vow which is on her and the obligation to which she has bound herself and the Most High will forgive her. This passage speaks to the covered state of a woman, in this case, a wife, which is a legal status that holds high position. To view the position of wifehood as a protected legal state with high status, the society would also have to value motherhood and the quality of care and relationships, education and exposure, and family and spiritual tradition that are passed to children from their mothers. Because to be a wife came with the expectation of motherhood too. This is another area where Western patriarchy and pastoral patriarchy split. Basically, the passage is saying, have a conversation with your husband before you commit yourself to things, especially with household resources or that takes you away from the household altogether. If not, it may or may not stand. From the Old Testament narrative, if a man is indeed a husband, meaning the one who manages economically and carefully with excellent leadership and stewardship for the purpose of gaining the highest quality and the greatest deal for what he has sown. His wife and later his children are expected to yield to his authority or support his decision-making. It is an expectation, but there isn't a direct instruction for women to submit in the Old Testament. While there are some aspects of female life that men have no say on, and the Old Testament scripture will speak directly to women for such things, most of the direct commands govern men, husbands, and societal leadership positions that men traditionally held because they are the ones being tasked with the responsibility. While we know any wife or child could employ their own will against righteous or responsible authority, the idea here, as we would say it today, is that if a man, husband, father, leader was doing what he was charged to do by the divine, all else would be in order. And in most cases, this rings true. For that reason, there are less direct commands given to women and children in the Old Testament or for pastoral patriarchal marriages. This constant and steady flow of leadership and support, sometimes even submission, or the two reciprocal exchanges that you two both agree on in your marriage, creates a symmetry and a synchronicity between a couple that is biblically referred to as oneness. This oneness must be practiced and perfected within marriage. At a wedding or ceremony, the commitment of oneness is vowed, but inside of marriage is where it manifests and becomes visible and is experienced. It doesn't magically deliciously happen, not even just because you said it so at the altar. 
You have to agree to work toward your oneness daily over time as you commit and submit unto each other and the Most High. This kind of oneness, mostly outlined in the Old Testament, truly takes place when there is real cleaving. So think Genesis 2.24 and its natural support or submission. And notice the order there. First, a man cleaves, establishes himself as an independent man away from his parents, and then submission unto God and unto each other. Though in pastoral patriarchy, women hold the office of submission much more in marriage. Jeremiah, I think that speaks to that cleaving part. The man establishing himself as an independent man away from his parents kind of speaks to that building desire, that building quality that you spoke of earlier. Of course, in the scriptures, we see that this is something that men just naturally I got to build, I got. I have to have something apart from my parents as an independent man so that I have something um, for a wife to enter into and for children to live and be a part of. And to your point with what society expects or teaches in this type of society, um, it was pretty much expected that men would be husbands. And they would have families and they would lead their marriages and their homes. Of course, not every man gets married, but it still was expected that men would have their own. So do you want to connect what you were saying earlier with what we see here um, in the Old Testament scriptures? The desire and the instinct to build has been made clear, I think, in the passages. You talked about it a little bit, but I don't know if your listeners heard it. And I don't even know if you were saying it for this point, but I will. It's not simply to build. I mean, that that's that's important and that's the root. But if you carry that out, that line of thinking out, why are you building? To what end? You're seeking to build something that lasts beyond you. That's where the word and idea of legacy comes from, mm -hmm. right? You're building something that lasts beyond your Physical life. Physical life. Mm -hmm. And the only way that that's possible, this is where the miss comes sometimes for certain men. The only way that's possible is if you've spent an abundance of time prior to your physical life ending, preparing and establishing a way of that thing you've built operating without you. You literally have to make yourself obsolete if you want it to live beyond you. And so it's quite literally an act of selflessness. Mm. If you're trying to create something that's going to live beyond you, you have to build it in a way where you're obsolete, where everyone and everything is prepared for you not to be there. It's not to say that you're not important, sure. but they have to be empowered enough to operate without your presence so that it can be continued. If you're talking about it at a very like nuclear family perspective, but if you go beyond that, it still carries true. If you build a, a, a company, people are always talking about what? Succession mm -hmm. and what happens in the company. And is this person too important? And if they are too important, then the whole company has just been built wrong because if you gotta take them out and everyone's worried about how it continues on, 
then you've built it wrong. Mm -hmm. Same thing when it comes to a community, right? Our civil rights leaders and all these renowned men and women, but especially the men like your Martin Luther Kings and how how successful was the civil rights movement after his assassination because there was no, was or was not some leader or operation that can continue without the figurehead, right? These are always questions that happen both at the nuclear family level and as you grow it out to the community. And so any man who is seeking to build should be thinking about it in a selfless manner if the true nature of what they want to be built is something that lasts beyond them. They have to be operating in a very selfless manner to achieve that goal. And so you you said something about a lot of the charges coming to men it, because the expectation is if they do their job, all else will be fine. What I just said, I believe, is a part of that equation. Mm. If all men are seeking to build something even if it's at a just a, a family, but they're doing it in a way where they're like, I want everything that I build to last beyond me. That'll force them to think about empowering their wife. If they're not there, it'll force them to think about raising up their children so they have the principles that they want them to have. It will make them think about protection of assets. It's a lot of different ways that your mind changes when you start to think about how do I make sure everybody else is good? Now that I've built this thing, how do I make sure everybody else is good if I'm not here so that my legacy can continue? And so I, I think a lot of that ties in. It's funny that you mentioned Dr. King because I use him as an example with my clients more at the family level. You ask the question at the community level, that answer would not be the same as the family level. So, you know, there's levels to this, but I'll give Dr. King his credit in his office as a husband, I was taught, it is also scripturally supported, that you will really be able to see the measure, the quality of a man's work and his legacy and how he poured into his family, his marriage, or not, in his death. One of the things that I just respect so much about what he would have had to have done, though, of course, I have no insight on it. I'm just able to observe and go, well, he must have. Is Coretta her ability to continue in his stead and make the decisions that he made and the sacrifices that he made, the movement that he was a part of, make it be memorialized um, in a way where he would be remembered, right? His life was short. We have a few movies <laughs> um, that kind of let us know he might have anticipated that. And I think he died in 1968. I don't think Dr. King, the holiday became an official, an official federal holiday until 86. So she labored for that long, whatever that math is, until she got it. And there was something on the inside of her. And I'm not saying that whatever that fever was, um, she didn't have some stake in it. But it, it is also clear that he said something to her. He set her up. He had things prepared um, where she made it be her business to have the work that he built be remembered. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And if that observation proved to be maybe less true than we thought, he did something so 
he did something in his life that the people closest to him, specifically his wife, he did something so remarkable and so selfless that it inspired her mm-hmm. to do that work, even if he didn't set her up in a perfect manner. We don't really know. Right. We would, we think so. But even if not, she still willed it to be mm-hmm. because as the person closest to him, she respected and was inspired by what his selfless work materialized into. And so um, in both ways, you know, one's more ideal than the other, but in both ways, it happens. The bottom line is your work as a man in building something can't be for self-praise. It should be selfless focus, even if it's not for, you know, millions of people around the globe. It should at least be for your family. Well, that's a good place to close. And maybe, you know, the scripture coming to me is let other men praise you. Do not forget to download your marital submission episode guide. If you're already on the Match Mary Mate subs list, it's in your inbox. To join, click the link in the show notes. Our next episode is titled Biblical Marriages. Jeremiah and I will discuss the various kinds of marriages found in the biblical text in the context of ancient Hebraic and modern American culture. If you want to share some topics you'd like to hear on the show as a preparation ground for getting engaged or becoming a wife, please use the comments feature on this episode or shoot me an email at podcast at matchmarymate.com as we plan to do this again in a few months. For now, I leave you with the proverb from a Bantu tribe of central Kenya. The man may be the head of the home, but the wife is the heart. Thank you for joining me today and tuning into another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers. Where are my private girlies at? I know sometimes you have sensitive details you need to share as it relates to your love life or just who you are as a woman. I get it and want to make space for you. We all need a little TLC and one-on-one from time to time. And if you book between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 40% off your call for our Cozy Girl Fall Special. It's super easy to book a private call with me. Just visit matchmarymate.com, click work with me, and book your individual call so we can connect real soon. Are you looking to get your love life together? You're tired of not having the tools or community you need to navigate these dating and relationship streets. Well, honey, let's take some accountability, do our work and be in the place to reap all the benefits. I invite you to become a Love Lady member and officially join the Match Mary Mate community. You can choose your specific dating and relationship package to work with me. You'll have access to digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. 
If this sounds like something you want, be sure to join today because I'd love to have you. Visit coachjoyce.com to get started. I want to see your face in the place.